If it's okay with you, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, get started uh, with the message even while they're passing it out. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in three different passages this morning, so I'm just going to let you choose which one you want to turn to. I'll have the verses behind me for all three, but I'd love for you to open to either Matthew chapter 26, Luke chapter 22, or 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be in all three of those passages, and again, you just choose which one you would prefer. Matthew 26, Luke chapter 22, or 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. I know a couple of you have your hands still up, and they'll be, they'll be with you briefly. Um, how many of you are college sports fans? Would you raise a hand if you like college sports? All right. Now, College sports have some very interesting and unique traditions. Aaron, actually, could I get one as well? I'm sorry, I didn't bring one up with me. Thank you. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Is Dorothy a college sports fan or is she one of community? Uh, in college sports, they have some really unique traditions that maybe if you don't know or understand why, you might look at them with a bit of surprise. For example, um, this is Florida State. You go to a Florida State football game and actually many of florida states they are the seminoles so they have the chop and uh and a chant that goes along with it uh some like i know a couple of you guys in here are duke basketball fans these are the called the cameron crazies and they get all dressed up for uh, for a duke basketball game and and uh, then i know my son has been to a wisconsin football game where they stand and jump from the end of the third quarter all the way to the beginning of the fourth quarter, the, the, the stadium just shakes as everybody jumps. But what I, I recently came across a tradition I thought was absolutely hilarious. There's a small little school called Taylor University, about 2,000 students, and they have every evening or every year what's called Silent Night. Basketball game where everybody dresses up in Halloween costumes, and once the game starts, nobody says anything until they score their 10th point. And once they score their 10th point, they run out onto the middle of the court like they just won the national championship in the middle of the game. Watch just the clip here. Uh, this is Taylor University. You won't hear anything. Is, is the volume on, Erica? You won't hear anything except the bench. So the bench will make some noise. That's point number five, seven, and now the guy's going to hit a three-pointer. Robinson, three left side it. high, Hubbard thought about a three. One hand bounce, Robinson to break the silence. That's it. We scored point number ten. Absolutely hilarious. And I, I was thinking of strange traditions because... Well, because of what we're preaching on last week and this week, if you were here last week, we asked a man to stand in water and then to hold his nose so I could dunk him under the water. And we all clapped and cheered. Now, if you didn't know anything about Christianity and you watched that, you'd be like, what is up with these people? Or what we're going to do today. The end of our service today, we're going to take a small little cracker and a tiny little swig of juice, and we're going to celebrate someone who died. That tradition just 
It may not make a lot of sense to people who don't really understand Christianity, but, but that's all the more reason for us as followers of Jesus to understand why. We obey these two ordinances that the Lord gave us in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, if you're here with us for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we are walking our way through a series called A Biblical Church where we just look in the Bible and say, what are the characteristics of a biblical church? And so far, we've covered five. Worship, that the church exists for God's glory. The Word of God, that the church listens to and obeys the Word of God. Prayer, the church, the church learns God's heart so we can ask for what He wants. A biblical community where we where the church does life together, but Jesus is at the center Evangelism where we lovingly proclaim the truth of Jesus with the prayerful hope that God will complete his work of salvation And what we started last week and will conclude this week is this number six the ordinances The church demonstrates rehearses and celebrates the person and the work of Christ Through the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper now, if you don't know anything about it, just briefly, we said this last week, baptism is an initial act of obedience after salvation that identifies us with Christ and his body. It's an initial one-time act. We obey once getting baptized because he only died for us once, and it's to identify with Christ and his body. But the Lord's Supper is not a one-time thing. The Lord's Supper is a continual, it's an ongoing act of remembrance of Christ that we participate with his body. And last week I tried to emphasize that baptism has nothing to do with salvation. It's not a part of our salvation. It's just an evidence of it. It's meant to picture the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it takes place after one believes in jesus and we celebrated last week tony seals obedience in after believing in christ he was baptized today we're going to talk about the second ordinance that jesus gives the church it's called the lord's supper or communion and i want to show you again today it has nothing to do with earning salvation or receiving salvation but simply remembering salvation because there are denominations that will teach that the the, the bread that we eat becomes the body of Christ and the blood or the, the, the juice that we drink will actually become the, the blood and that communion is part of receiving his grace rather than just celebrating the grace we received at salvation. And, and we have to go back to the fact that when it comes to salvation, we don't do anything. We don't add anything. We don't offer anything. We don't bring anything. We simply celebrate the work that Christ has done in our life. And so this morning, we're going to start by looking at the two passages in the New Testament that we would call the Last Supper. We're going to read the Last Supper because it's at the Last Supper when the Lord introduces the Lord's Supper. So it's two longer passages— but it's so important because I want us to see the parallels between these two. So Matthew chapter 26 is where we'll begin. If you have your Bibles, in Matthew 26, we're going to start in verse number 17 and read through verse 29. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. The Bible says this. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. 
When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, notice this word, is it I, Lord? He answered, Well, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him that, a, that for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, notice this, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you that I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the passage in Matthew. And again, I, I, I know these are a little bit longer, and I don't apologize for reading the word of God. We are the people of God, right? But let's now look at Luke chapter 22 at, at the same rehearsal of the same time written by a different author. And I'm going to highlight a few things in this passage of Luke that I'm not going to stop and talk about now, but we're going to mention throughout the message this morning. So if you wonder why a few words are highlighted uh, behind me, it's just so that you could kind of take note of them. Luke chapter 22, and we'll begin in verse 14. Luke 22, verse 14. The Bible says this, When the hour came, bless you, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Notice it's at the Passover time. With you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, and please take note of these words, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant. But behold... The hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes that it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. The two passages that we would call the Last Supper, where Jesus introduces what we today call the Lord's Supper, and we do it, we observe the Lord's Supper for five reasons. Last week, I gave you five reasons why we get baptized. Submission, identification, a submission and illustration, a proclamation, identification, and participation. And this week, I want to give you five reasons why we observe the Lord's Supper. And I'll tell you the first three, I'm going to go very fast. The last one will be very brief, but the fourth one will slow down and spend some time on. Five reasons why we observe the Lord's Supper. First, submission. We observe the Lord's Supper as an act of obedience to Jesus. We get baptized because he tells us to. 
We partake in the Lord's Supper because he said, this do in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul writes a lengthy passage in 1 Corinthians 11. I'll refer to it a couple times where he instructs the church how to take the Lord's Supper. This is what he says. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, which means he doesn't say when and how long or how often, but just as often as you do in remembrance of me. So we will observe the Lord's Supper at the end of the message today because Jesus said, Do this in remembrance of me. Submission. Number two, as an illustration. We observe the Lord's Supper as a picture of the body and blood of Jesus. Both in Matthew, Luke, and 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, meaning he wants his disciples to remember his death. They want, when you eat that bread and when you drink the cup, remember I have died for you. But I want to share with you just briefly why I don't believe Jesus was saying this is becoming my blood and becoming my body. First, when they partook in this communion for the very first time, Jesus was standing right in front of them. His body and his, his body was in front of him, and his blood was coursing through his veins. Second, Jesus refers to the wine, and we, we, we pointed this out. He referred to the wine in the cup as this fruit of the vine. Jesus clearly knew what was in that cup. It was not his blood, it was the fruit of the vine. And he states, too, that he won't take of this fruit of the vine until he does so with us later in the kingdom of God. And so this is really cool. Just as the disciples sat around with Jesus celebrating the Last Supper and communion, all the redeemed of God will one day sit around with Jesus and we're going to enjoy a supper with him. Wow. He's not going to drink his own blood. We're going to celebrate his blood. But the greatest reason I would say that Jesus was not saying this becomes my blood, this becomes my body, is because the word in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, where he says this is, that word is, this is my blood, comes from the same root word that, that is translated I am in John chapter number 10, when Jesus says I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And in John 15, where he says I am the vine, Jesus was not saying I am actually a door and I am actually a vine. He was saying, my words are being used to picture what I want you to think of. So this body and blood, this, this bread and cup is to picture his body and his blood. So we, we take the Lord's Supper out of submission as an illustration, third, as a proclamation. We observe the Lord's Supper as a profession of our faith in Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here's the thing. Last week we had a man get baptized. Everybody's welcome to witness it, but we only baptize those who have already placed their faith and trust in Christ. Now believers and unbelievers can witness, but it's only something for believers. And that's why last week when I said, hey, if you want to get baptized, please talk to Pastor Mike first because we don't, we don't want someone just to walk into the water and get dunked thinking that has anything to do with salvation because it has nothing to do with salvation. It is simply a, a picture. And the same is true for the Lord's Supper. I, I pass these out to everybody, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is not for everyone. 
There's two groups of people that should not participate in the Lord's Supper at the end of the message. The unconverted, meaning if you have never yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He has saved my soul. And the unrepentant, if you are not living as if Jesus is your Lord. See, we, we can't proclaim who Jesus is if we're trying to be our own savior and we can't proclaim who Jesus is when we try to live our own lives the way we want to. And so as we pass as that bread and, and cup is, as we, we take it, what we're doing by opening this up and putting this in our mouths is I am proclaiming Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And if you can't say that, you're so welcome to witness it. You're so welcome to be a participant in watching other people do it with great joy that our God saved us and we humbly surrender to him. But if you're not proclaiming that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, I would ask, be very careful about participating. Number four, identification. We observe the Lord's Supper to remind us that Jesus identified himself as the ultimate sacrifice for sin and sinners. And I'm going to be honest with you, I almost made this point my entire message. It's why I would take a little bit longer on it, but, but here's the thing. Why does Jesus wait until the Passover meal to talk about a new covenant with his disciples why don't they just eat the passover and then at another time he sits them down and says now guys listen i'm going to go through this gruesome death for your sakes take this bread take this wine and when you do remember me but he doesn't do that it's a part of the passover meal it's a part of the the last supper when jesus pauses and, and he changes everything he stops talking about what god has done and he begins to turn to his body and his blood because the Last Supper of Jesus and his disciples is inseparably linked to the Passover meal of Israel. It's, it's as they celebrate the Passover where Jesus talks about him as his body, his blood, and his death. And here's why. Through the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, Jesus was identifying with the people of God, Israel, with the Passover lamb, and with God's covenant with Israel. But he was also testifying himself to be the greater Israel, the greater Passover lamb, and bringing a greater covenant. So here, here, here's what you might know about the nation of Israel. They came through the line of Abraham. They were a chosen people, a promised people, yet open up to the second book of the Bible, Exodus, and we find them in bondage in Egypt, crying out to God saying, save us. And God does by sending a man named Moses and 10 plagues are, are, are afflict the land of Egypt and the 10th plague is called the Passover or, or some would call it the death angel. What God does is he gathers Moses to give him instructions that, that a death angel will pass through the land of Egypt killing the firstborn of anyone who does not follow the instructions that God gives Moses. Here's the instructions in Exodus. They shall take some of the blood, this is of a spotless lamb. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass 
over. That's where we get the word Passover. I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. So on this night, the Israelites... Well, they, they, killed the, they killed the lamb and they took his blood and they put it with some hyssop weed on their doorposts and then they sat and waited and the death angel come through and, and after that happened, Pharaoh released them so they were, they were not only allowed out of Egypt but they were headed to the promised land and, and God said, you remember this day with a feast throughout all your generations which is what Jesus and his disciples are celebrating. That blood is important. The lamb, it couldn't just be that the lamb was killed. It couldn't just be that, the, that a lamb was chosen, but the, the lamb actually had, the blood of that lamb actually had to be applied to the doorposts. You know, as, as Christians, as creatures of God, I should say, Jesus died. It's not enough to know it. Jesus died and his blood was spilled. It's not just enough to say, yeah, I've heard of it. It actually has to be applied. Israel leaves Egypt and they get to this land called the or they get to this place called Mount Sinai where where God gives Moses 10 commandments and actually much more than 10 commandments he spends four chapters telling Moses instructions to give to the people and Moses gathers the people in Exodus 24 and he says listen I'm going to tell you everything the Lord just said he tells them everything God just told them and the people respond in verse 3 by saying all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do so Moses goes and he sits down to write out all the words. He has some altars built. They bring some sacrifices. And as their sacrifice, Moses takes bowls and he catches the blood of these sacrifices. Then he brings the word that he's already said to them. And he brings and he reads it to them again. And he says, here's what we're going to do. Here's all the words the Lord wants you to command or wants you to follow. And the people heard it again and they said, we will do it. And Moses took that blood and he poured half on the altar and then he took the other half and he sprinkled it on the people. It was a covenant of blood. You said it, we'll do it. I, I just want to show you just so you can understand it a little bit clearer. In Exodus 24, verse 6, it says, And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This covenant was how God would relate to Israel. Israel knew if we obey what you said, you will bless us. If we disobey what you said, we will be cursed. Israel gets to the promised land, and what do they do? They rebel. They disobey. They turn from Jehovah God to other gods. And, and while there were good people in the nation of Israel's history, much of their cycle was turning from God, turning back to God, turning from God, turning back to God. But until they, get, they, they reached a point where they had become just as evil as all the people around them, and God chose to bring destruction to his people. Because no matter how many chances he gave them to repent, they still rebelled. The covenant didn't work. So what do the people do? 
And they've already tried. They've tried to repent. They've tried to live right. It just doesn't work. What do the people do? No, it's not what the people do. It's what does God do? God sends Jesus. Jesus, a greater Israel. Sorry. A greater Israel. A greater Passover lamb. Introducing a greater covenant. You say, I don't understand that at all, Pastor. Give me just a moment. Israel was in bondage in Egypt, crying out, God, free us. Jesus was free in heaven, enjoying the glories of God when the Father asked him to take the bondage of sin upon himself and die so that these crying could be free. Israel was saved from God's judgment, not because they were innocent, but because God accepted the applied blood of a spotless lamb. Jesus was sinless. And even though he was the firstborn of God, he was not passed over and spared from God's judgment. Instead, he became the spotless lamb whose blood was spilled. And here's why he's the greater Passover. Because anyone who at any time applies his shed blood to their lives will be saved. Israel went into the waters of the Red Sea and God saved them from their enemies. Jesus enters the waters of baptism and we talked about this last week. Why? To save his enemies. Israel was led into the wilderness where they received God's manna and still they would not trust God. Jesus was led into the wilderness fasting for 40 days without anything then being offered the chance to turn stones into bread and he refused why because he wanted to trust god jesus was a greater israel jesus was a greater passover lamb because as israel was was taken from this land of egypt into the land flowing with milk and honey they still couldn't love god with all their heart soul mind and strength they couldn't love their neighbor as himself. Jesus is taken from the glories of heaven to walk the dirty, dusty earth to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength and love his neighbor as himself by laying down his life. He is the greater. But he also introduces a greater covenant. Because in Luke twenty-two twenty, when he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, it's also a new covenant sealed with blood. And here's the covenant. Jesus says, you know the law of God. And they said, we do. But we cannot obey it perfectly. And Jesus said, then I will for you. I will live a perfect life for you. I will suffer the wrath of God for sin. I will face the eternal punishment of hell for you. I will take the curse upon myself so you could have my blessing. There's nothing you have to do. You simply must believe. What a much greater covenant, right? It's no longer if I do right, God blesses me. And if I do wrong, God curses me. It's that Jesus did right so God would bless me. And he took my sins so God would curse him. What a much greater covenant. And that's what Jesus was introducing at this Last Supper. A new covenant. One where it's not about what we do. It's about what he has done for us. And us recognizing and believing in the person and in the work of Jesus. 
And then you say, but, but why do we have to remember, remember his blood? That's so gruesome. It's at the beginning of time when, when, when Adam was created that God declared death to be the penalty for sin. He said in Genesis 2.17 to Adam, the day you eat, you'll surely die. He said in Romans 6.23, the wages or the penalty of sin is death and the spilling of blood signified death. And yet God so desired to want to be with his people, he did not require our blood to be spilled. He allowed a sacrifice, that blood to be spilled as a substitute. And that's why Moses killed animals, collected his blood, threw it on the altar because that animal became the substitute. But see, Hebrews tells us it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Why? Why? Because an animal has no moral conscience. An animal can't choose between right and wrong. We can so how can someone substitute for us who isn't consciously choosing right or wrong when we do? See, the blood of bulls and goats was simply pointing to the day when a lamb who had the moral conscience to choose between right and wrong would always choose right and never choose wrong and therefore could stand as a substitute for all of our sins to say, I'll take the curse because I don't deserve one. And that's why John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But may I remind you, it's not enough for his blood to be spilled. It must be applied. Finally and last, why do we take the Lord's Supper? Participation. We observe the Lord's Supper to unite ourselves with the church of Jesus. I'm going back to 1 Corinthians 11, where the Apostle Paul, again, spends a great deal of time talking about the Lord's Supper, but he gives a very chilling warning to the church in verse 20. He says this, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What's taking place in this church is as they would remember the Lord's Supper, they would gather for a meal beforehand, sort of like a potluck, but everybody would keep their own potluck. So if you were rich and wealthy, you had plenty to eat and drink. So much that you get drunk and be full while your neighbor who didn't have as much as you would have nothing. And Paul said, that's, that's not the Lord's Supper that you're taking. You might have the bread and the, the wine, but you don't have the presence of the lamb is what you need. That is not the Lord's Supper. That's just a, a meal. Why? Because it's, it's unity. The salvation of Christ brings unity to the body. We saw this with baptism last week. I'm not going to read it all, but, but these were verses that were highlighting unity in baptism. One, 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 one. And how can a rich person say, I don't have to give to you? No, and Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not the Lord's Supper. We need unity. And so Paul also goes on and gives them one more warning in verse 27 he says whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the lord let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without get these words without 
discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. We've already said, if you're, if, you're, if you're unconverted, if you're not a believer and follower of Jesus, this, this Lord's Supper is not for you. But Paul also says to believers, to the church, examine yourself. Don't drink and eat without discerning the body. Examine your participation in the body of Christ. Are there people in need and you are refusing to meet their need? Do you have something that could be a blessing to someone who is empty? Examine yourself. And Paul is not trying to scare people away saying, hey, you're not worthy for this. Look, look, no one's worthy. There's nothing we can do that make us worthy. The worthiness here is not about whether we are worthy. It's about whether we are living in a way that makes Christ worthy. So at a time like this, as we enter a moment in a moment to go into the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. Each time we take the Lord's Supper, we should look inwards at our hearts. Remember when Jesus said in both passages, one of you will betray me. What did the disciples say? Is it I, Lord? What did Judas say? Is it I, Rabbi? You never find Judas calling Jesus Lord. I think it must be very, be very important for us to look inwards at our hearts and ask, what do I believe about Jesus? Is he my Savior? Is he my Lord? Each time we take the Lord's Supper, we should also look backwards at the cross. We look at what Jesus did for us, and, and we don't just go like, wow, what a God. No, no. We should say that, but then we don't just look at what Jesus offered us. We realize that Jesus gave it to us for us to share with others the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the mercy that we have received. We must extend to others. We can't just celebrate what God did for us. We have to share what Jesus did with others. So who is it that has done so much that you can't forgive them? Aaron, you actually mentioned that when you were talking. What is it? What's, what's, that, what's that area in your heart or in your life where you say, I just won't? It's a good thing Jesus didn't do that to us, right? I recently, just, just this week, heard about a, a, a someone that I may have offended years ago. I called the man in his early 20s, and I called him, and we talked for, we talked for a while, and we talked about an incident, and, and I offered my apologies, and, and he said, oh, man, please don't worry about that. He, again, here's a man in his 20s, and this, is, this were his words on the phone. If I understand forgiveness correctly, after what I've received from Jesus, it's silly to think I should forgive someone else. A 20-year-old man, and yet we have people who have lived for decades as followers of Christ holding on to grudges in their heart. We can't just look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and say, yeah, I see what he did for me, but I won't do that for someone else. And finally, each time we take the Lord's Supper, 
We look forward to the day we will eat with Christ. Ah, that's so cool. The Lord's Supper reminds us the Last Supper has not yet been served. We call it the Last Supper. No, it's not the Last Supper because he promised to sit with us another day. So as we, we take the Lord's Supper, look inward at our hearts and realize who we're celebrating. This is our Savior and Lord. Look at what he has done for us and how we can live that out to others. And look at what we have awaiting us with that one who gave his life to save me and give me away to the Father. Amen and amen. And I wasn't going to say this. I've, I've actually battled saying anything about wanting to say this. But Pastor Mike, in, in the short life group that I was there for this morning, I feel like the Lord just said, okay, Brian, stop fighting it. Another thing that the Lord's Supper allows us to do is, is to be transparent with who we are. And I just want to tell you, as pastor, I'm struggling right now. There's one person sitting in this room that, that knows last Sunday on my way to church, I really didn't want to come. It's been a long 16 months. It's not that the church couldn't meet during COVID. It's, it's there was so much work trying to just stay connected and be together. It was stretching. And then you add the division that, that not just the church, but that we felt it was, do we meet or do we not meet? And it didn't matter what I did. It was just someone didn't like it. It's not about me. Do we meet with masks or do we not meet with masks? I preached a message, preached a series through Esther last year, trying to keep our eyes on Christ and, and knowing he is the Lord, not not. Donald Trump and not Joe Biden and, and every week I would receive an email from people watching online who criticized me for not criticizing one side or the other and then as, as many of you know and you just look around we've had people just leave or not return and as a pastor you just feel like well it's happened on my watch I'm a failure. And there's very few people I've confided in about that. There's a few people, but very few people. I'm a, I'm a failure. Tired, I'm worn out, I'm weary, and I don't have much left to give. And last week, I reached out to two men that don't live in this area, and I said, would you please pray for me? Because I, I don't know what I'm going to do this morning. The Lord, of course, comes through, and we celebrated, Kim, just a beautiful day baptizing Tony, and it was wonderful. But I'm just being honest with you. I'm struggling. And I could say that to you because of that cross. Because it's, it's not about me. I can look at what Jesus has done for me, and I know there's great hope that awaits us, but I also know that he is more than sufficient today. But there are times when, as a human, I'm weak. I'm really glad your trust 
doesn't have to be in a physical under-shepherd. Your trust is in one who will never let you down, who has fulfilled all righteousness for you. And that is the one. Sorry, he is the one we celebrate this morning. The greater Israel, the greater Passover lamb, bringing a greater 